I want to get into this here because I don't know if we're going to have time in the actual portion of the episode, but he has a shower that he goes out to in the jungle. Would you call it a shower? Because it seems more just like a falling water stream. (laughs) The shower looks gorgeous or the waterfall. Nice environment. No roof. I think you get dirty after you shower when you walk back to the house, but you're also just leaving your toothbrush on a bush. And I've got some problems with that. Yeah, I felt conflicted about this. Though, look, I understand he's trying to live off the grid and all that, but if you're going to have that nice of a house, I mean, presumably there's a bathroom situation in there. Does he just prefer to shower outside by standing under a random water source that, again, I'm unclear of where the water is coming from. It's just falling against a bunch of leaves and then on his old head. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Is he walking out there in trousers or is he just butt naked out into the jungle? And how far is it? You know, is it in his backyard? It's three miles. Oh, wow. That long of a trail. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. What if some animal takes a shit on his toothbrush while he's gone? (laughs) It's like the opening of Shrek. He's like in yeah. a swamp. And he's like, just open up with All Star. <laughs> Billy Eilish's cover of All Star. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three double O agents with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and someday, I hope to be a villain with no clear motivation. I'm Keith Baker, and I have all the time in the world. And I'm Austin Terry, and I think our recent Bond titles have gotten a little too outlandish for me. Can't we just go back to the simple days of Octopussy? Those were the days, and I have to wonder in the future what titles they're going to give us because they got to go crazy after this batch. But nonetheless, on today's show, we're returning to the world of James Bond, and it's a special occasion. Because not only are we finally getting to see another Daniel Craig entry to the franchise, but it marks his last. We reviewed the previous four Daniel Craig Bond films earlier this year, so make sure you go check those out. But before we get to No Time to Die, Austin, any big episodes our audience should be checking out. Yeah, we've had a fun past couple weeks on this podcast, so we are officially a few weeks now in the spooky season. So we just talked about James Wan's newest return to horror with Malignant. We had a lot of fun getting into that one and kind of breaking down the spooky twist in that movie. And then last week, we just put out a review on Mike Flanagan's return to Netflix with Midnight Mass. So we've had a couple of spooky weeks on this show, and it's been fun talking about all this scary content. We love the Halloween season, and uh, we're, we're so glad this month is finally here. Yeah, definitely some good episodes out there. I'm really excited for the start of spooky season, and I think the back half of this month, we have some even bigger and scarier stuff coming. Got a new Halloween movie, got a bracket coming. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Um, But yeah, with that, let's get to something a little less scary, perhaps. No Time to Die has come out. That is our main topic of the show, of course. Daniel Craig, man. He graced our screen as James Bond for the first time in 2006. Seems weird to say 2006 for some reason. It seems like such a foreign number so long ago. Uh, But that's when they gave us Casino Royale. Reviewers and audiences alike were impressed with the new, darker, and more realistic take on the character following the Pierce Brosnan outings. Afterwards, we got Quantum of Solace, which divided critics with its focus on action more so. There was no room for divisiveness, however, with 2012 Skyfall. Some called it the best of the franchise and appreciated Javier Bardem's menacing villain, as well as giving us a more human look at Bond via his backstory and childhood trauma. All seemed on the right track when Sam Mendes returned to direct Spectre in 2015, But alas, everyone was divided once again due to the retconning of past films, a terrible third act, and a pretty nonsensical villain motivation with Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. 
We've known for years that this fifth film would be Craig's final outing. Would it fall on the positive or negative side of the spectrum? This time around, we have returning characters, a plot that ties together and continues the story from the previous films, a brand new villain, and much, much more. I added a second much in there because that's what happens with a two-hour and 43-minute runtime. So, with all that said, Austin and Keith, give me your quick thoughts on the previous Craig Bond films, and what are your non-spoiler thoughts on No Time to Die? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Daniel Craig as James Bond. He's my favorite Bond to date. I think he's so good. I think he's nailed the character so well. Uh, Skyfall will always be the highlight for me with kind of his his era. I think Casino is a great origin story for Daniel Craig's Bond. Quantum of Solace, it's aged better than I think people remember, especially considering the writer's strike. And Inspector, I think, is a pretty pretty bad movie. So I, I was really excited for No Time to Die to kind of go out on a high note and uh, kind of clean some things up from Spectre in the past. And I, I got to say, ultimately, I think I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's great. I think I was pretty underwhelmed in the theaters. I was very hyped up for this one. And ultimately, it just left me feeling pretty disappointed. Um, I don't think we have a strong villain. I think the highlight for me is, of course, Daniel Craig back as Bond, and then also getting more of the Madeline Swan character. I think she is a standout in the film. Um, the action's great. It definitely has its own style with a new director coming in for this one. But ultimately, the, the story it tries to tell, I don't think, is a very strong one. And when it does finally conclude, it left me kind of just a little hollow and a little bit just like, eh, that was good, but not like the fantastic conclusion I was hoping for the end of the Daniel Craig era. Yeah, uh, I think I'm right there with you, Austin. Um, Skyfall will always be my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film. To date, um, just rewatched Casino and Quantum again to prepare for this episode and or or to prepare for the viewing of No Time to Die. And uh, those are still great movies. I think Casino Royale's, uh, I guess, ending, you say, still bugs me. Uh, but Quantum, like you said, Austin, is, is way better than I remember it being. And then going into Spectre, yeah, definitely some flaws there, uh, which we've covered um, well enough. But uh, going into No Time to Die, yeah, this one... Uh, I don't want to say I didn't like it. There was a lot of lots of things I did really love about this movie, but I did come out of the movie, and you can ask Matthew. We watched it together, uh, a little confused and let down by some things I was hoping to happen in it. So I think that's all I can say on it right now without giving too much away. But uh, I still think it was a great film, but just not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think I agree with uh, you guys for the most part as well. So I'll just kind of echo the sentiments. I think Casino Royale, when it came out, was such a massive hit and felt so different from a lot of not only action movies, spy films, but it felt so different for a Bond movie. We had had a lot of Bond outings up until that point and it just felt so fresh. And I think in large part due to Daniel Craig, I think he's probably my favorite Bond as well. I have a soft spot for some of the more campy Bonds like Roger Moore and stuff like that. But I think Craig... It's just awesome. And I also would recommend people go back and watch Quantum, like you guys said, because it was way better than I ever remember. I had a really great time watching it. It's definitely not a great movie, but it's a fun watch. Pay your writers. Pay your writers. Pay your writers. <laughs> yeah, that writer's strike. You can still tell that fucked it up. Uh, <laughs> Skyfall, I think I'm with you guys. Probably my favorite as well, because I like that they actually pulled back the curtain on Bond for once. We actually kind of got to know this guy instead of him just being... This kind of presence, right? I mean, James Bond was just kind of like a thing, and we just watched him go through action movies and crazy events in the past. But this actually, we got to learn about him and got to see him develop relationships and see some come to an end with Judy Dench's M, for example. But really good movie. Love that. And I think that's why Spectre was such a letdown for me, because they tried to do that again 
and they went too far with like his childhood story with this weird foster brother who is revealed later to be Blofeld and Blofeld is going to take revenge on Bond. But it turns out Blofeld killed his own father and then faked his own death. So it's very unclear why he's mad at James Bond. I guess he's just a psychopath, but I don't know if that's enough motivation <laughs> for something like this. <laughs> so yeah, Spectre was a letdown for sure. And here's what I'll say about No Time to Die. I, I'm really glad that this wasn't like a streaming release because with a lot of those movies, I feel like I watch them and then just immediately hop on a show with you guys. And my thoughts don't have a lot of time to evolve with something like that. And even though I saw this two nights ago with Keith, I do think just that amount of time I've softened on it a little bit definitely came out pretty disappointed. I I've had a great time with it. I think it's a great movie, but I didn't feel like it was a great Bond movie. It didn't live up to that moniker for me in a lot of ways. But in the last couple of days, I have been thinking about it a lot more, and I think there's a lot more to like here than not. The one thing I will say before getting into spoilers is that the one major thing that I kept talking about with Keith, and it was the thing that brought it down so much for me, is I can't believe I'm saying this after we got Christoph Waltz, that version of Blofeld, which is just such a terrible villain, Inspector. I don't know how they didn't give more time to think about Rami Malek as Safin. This performance is absolutely terrible. I mean, Rami Malek's a good actor, and he just reads every single line the exact same here. And the villain motivation, uh, I haven't been this confused <laughs> by a blockbuster <laughs> movie in a while. So It's funny because yeah, the villain, I think, is the worst part of this one. Yeah. But what you're talking about, how with, with a few days, you've kind of grown to like it maybe a little bit more. I've had the complete opposite experience mm. where I saw this movie, I guess, four days ago now. Yeah. And I left the theaters being like, okay, that was that was good. Like that, I actually really enjoyed that as a, as a closure for, for Daniel Craig. As time has passed, even just with a few days, I've just found it so forgettable. And like, mm. I've really, like, really had to struggle to be like, okay, what actually happened in this movie? Because there wasn't anything that I found super memorable. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just kind of bland and straightforward, I thought. So... I think for like the final Daniel Craig film, I wanted it to be more memorable than it ended up being for me. I think I still hate the villain and everything tied to that in this movie, but everything else I feel like I've liked a bit more. And in a lot of ways, I think this movie is kind of a greatest hits of the Daniel Craig era, like lots of callbacks, homages, similar action type stuff. So I thought that was cool. Does it make for a great movie overall? Probably not. Keith, any final thoughts before we get into spoilers? No, I think y'all pretty much hit everything I was thinking, to be honest. Uh, nothing I can get into now that doesn't spoil anything. All right. Well, then, everybody, if you have not had the chance to see No Time to Die, here's your spoiler warning. If you have not seen this movie yet, I would go check it out because I think there's a lot of interesting, questionable, really cool stuff, but none of it we can really get into without dropping that warning for you and getting into full-fledged spoilers. So go check out the movie and then come on back to our episode after you've seen it. And my friends, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to break down for Daniel Craig's final outing. Let's get into it. I would wait for streaming. <laughs> don't go to the theaters. <laughs> I don't know. You think so? With like the IMAX stuff? I feel like if you're going to watch this movie, maybe you should only see it in theaters. I told my dad, you might not want to see this in theaters because you won't be able to understand a word of it. He's like, shit, I'm going to need the subtitles? I said, yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you need subtitles. I do think you need subtitles. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, they couldn't direct Rami Malek. Like, they should have just had subtitles for him, even though he's speaking English. <laughs> like, I had no <laughs> idea what he was saying. 
All right, everybody, we are back. It is officially spoiler territory. Before we get into all our juicy thoughts, as usual, Austin and Keith, I want to hear a little bit about the cast and crew. So, Austin, what you got for me? All right, so No Time to Die is directed by Kerry Fukunaga. Uh, You may know him from Beast of No Nation, of course, True Detective Season 1, and Maniac. The movie is written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Fukunaga as well. Purvis and Wade are known for their contributions to the previous Daniel Craig Bond films. And then Waller-Bridge is an actress whose writing credits include uh, Crashing, Killing Eve, and then of course she's most well known for Fleabag. This is based on James Bond by Ian Fleming, and our movie score is composed by Hans Zimmer, along with the James Bond theme by Monty Norman, featuring No Time to Die, written by Billie Eilish and Finnish O'Connell, and performed by Billie Eilish. Going into our cast here, we got Daniel Craig, of course, as James Bond, 007, Lisa Du as Madeline Swan. Rami Malik as Safin, Lashana Lynch as Nomi, Ben Winshaw as Q, Naomi Harris as Moneypenny, Anna De Armas as Paloma, Billy Magnuson as Logan Ash, Rory Kinnear as Tanner, and we also got Christoph Waltz returning as Blofeld, Jeffrey Wright coming back as Felix Leiter, finally, and Ray Fiennes coming back as M. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any highlights, any negatives? I got a highlight, and that's Anna Diarmas as Paloma. She's all over the marketing this movie, and she gets eight minutes of screen time, maybe. maybe, and they're the best eight minutes of the film. Her character is so fun, so charming, and also so badass in the action scenes. I was shocked that she did not come back later in the movie. Yeah. Um, I just, I could not believe how good she was in such a short amount of time, and then like, how quickly her character exits the movie, but everything that she brings to the table was awesome in this film. Yeah. It was such an awkward goodbye, too. She like just gives James a handshake or whatever, and that was it. Yeah. I thought she was going to return later on in a cool way. Never came back. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I got to shout out my boy Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter. Mm-hmm. It was so cool that he came back. It's such a, such a cool scene in the opening whenever... He's chasing um, uh, James around in the car, and then James just says, hello, Felix, and that was, yeah, just such, that was, a, cool. That was such a cool opening for him, his character to come back. Uh, so it was cool seeing him, and then as far as negatives, I think we already we already covered it. That would it's, be uh, yeah. Rami Malek as Oh, God. <laughs> I thought it was really bad, man. And I like him. This yeah. wasn't it. This wasn't it. Was Jeffy Wright a bit too laid back in his <clears throat> performance for you guys? I think... Honestly, Austin, if you ask the writers, they would say, well, you know, time has kind of softened him. And I would go as an audience member. That makes sense. Also, it have been cool to see their relationship. We haven't seen him in 12 fucking years since Quantum. Like, they act like they're brothers. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know their relationship really that much. I rolled my eyes so hard when he was like, I had a brother. His name was Felix. I was like, you've, see- you've seen him once. You saw him one time in your career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I do agree with you, Keith. I, I did like his performance a lot, even though, yeah, it was laid back. I thought it was really fun. I, I'll do a cheat. I'll do a cheat. I'll give one, but it includes two actors because I really surprisingly like their chemistry. So I'm going to give my highlight to, of course, Daniel Craig as James Bond. I thought he was really good in this one. But I really liked and was surprised by the direction they went with his rapport and uh, respect kind of, if you want to put it that way, with Lashana Lynch as a new 007. I really like their kind of antagonistic relationship at first, but then it grows to kind of this begrudging respect where they are actually trying to help each other, even though 
they're kind of on opposite sides sometimes. And by the end, you know, I really liked seeing them do action together. So I really, I really enjoyed both of them. I also really liked that they didn't go the route of like, we're going to try to outdo each other. Yeah. Like, I like that it never got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Daniel Craig personally handpicked uh, actress Anna de Armas to play Paloma in the Bond movie after working with her on Knives Out. It is funny, Keith, because if you go back and watch like the original trailers for No Time to Die, Anna de Armas' character is just like a quick shot of her in the trailers because she got so popular after Knives Out yeah. that because the movies were, were going to release so close together, she wasn't really featured in the marketing because like, she wasn't a household name yet. But then Knives Out is so popular now that it's two years later, they tailored some of the more some of the more recent trailers to be marketed around Anna de Armas being in the movie, which I thought was pretty funny. Daniel Craig told GQ magazine there was four versions of the No Time to Die script uh, that came and went before the movie started uh, filming. Maybe they uh, maybe they cut one of the better ones because yeah. the story did not <laughs> unfold in a very That's interesting manner. <laughs> This is the first James Bond film where James Bond where James Bond is a parent. Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. It definitely felt like a big reveal that I thought worked for the most part. Yeah, the family aspect between him and Leia Sadu and the and the kid, I think, is one of the better parts of the movie. Yeah. Because it actually felt new. Yeah. Let's talk about what the critics had to say. It's always fun to do that with the Bond movies because as I said in the beginning, it's kind of up and down. So let's see where this one lands. The film currently has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the critical consensus being it isn't the sleekest or most daring 007 adventure, but No Time to Die concludes Daniel Craig's franchise tenure in a satisfying style. Positive reviews praise the film's style, action, and emotional moments, with some questioning if this is the best Daniel Craig has ever been as James Bond. Some highlights here include the conclusion of the film was particularly called out as critics enjoyed a focus on genuine moments as opposed to the franchise tendency to focus on action and eye-popping set pieces. The continuity across all films was also seen as a highlight, as was the juxtaposition of an old Bond and an old M dealing with a younger era of agents and obstacles. And finally, that the supporting cast was also praised, particularly Leah Sadu, Anna de Armas, and Lashana Lynch. The negative reviews focused on the melancholy tone of the movie, saying Craig outshines a lackluster script and story. They found the movie predictable, the Bond cliches uninspiring, and the overall film underwhelming. Ravi Malik's performance is called hammy and, quote, unfortunately very bad by multiple <laughs> critics. <laughs> <laughs> We're just shitting on Ravi Malik, and even the critics are. I love it. He deserves it, man. I watched a review where they said, yeah, man, the villain, definitely the weakest part of the movie. I was like, I definitely agree. And then they were like, but man, Rami Malek really tried. I mean, he had such great line delivery and like, you know, he did what he could. And I was like, which line are they talking about? <laughs> was it the part where he was like, hello, James? Or was it the other line where he was like, hello, Madeline? Awful. Anyway. The movie was viewed as too long, with some of the positive reviews even taking time to mention the runtime as a negative as well. Uh, the plot was jumbled at times, according to others, and mul- and said that multiple villains does not do the story any favors. Yeah, this is an interesting one. What do you guys think? Are there any like major positives or negatives there that stood out to you as something that you agreed with or disagreed with? I certainly agree, I think for the first time, with all the negatives that they've said about the film. It's mm-hmm. underwhelming, the villains suck, it's way too long. Even as somebody that loves Bond, I still was sitting in the theater like, oh, we are really, really dragging this one out, aren't we? 
Yeah, I agree with everything you just said there, Austin, as far as the negatives. As far as the positives, um, yeah, I can agree that the supporting cast was very good. We already mentioned it with Anante Armas and uh, Lashana Lynch as Nomi. So, yeah, I think they're right on point there. And the the action is really good. We haven't really yeah. called that out yet, but the action's great in this one. Yeah, we'll talk about that more for sure. Um, I'll actually take Austin's point one step further. I actually agree with everything that was said. All of the positives I agree with. I thought the co- conclusion was different and surprising. And after a couple of days of thinking about it, I think I actually really liked it. The continuity is something that we don't get with past Bond films. I thought that was cool. The supporting cast was awesome. But then, yeah, on the flip side, the negatives definitely agree. Thought it was weird how many villains there were. It felt like way too many. The plot, of course, was jumbled and extremely confusing at times. And Rami Malik, again, I like the guy <laughs> not trying to make this the shit on Rami show, but <laughs> I thought it was uh, very bad. So, yeah, I agree with kind of everything there. Unfortunately bad. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was unfortunately very bad. <laughs> 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 All right. So we've kind of talked a lot about our thoughts on the movie, but I think in order to get down to the nitty gritty, we're going to have to open this up for our freeform discussion. And let's really get into it, guys. Let's figure out why we were a little bit down on this movie. Maybe talking through it, we'll find some things that we like less, but maybe we'll come out feeling a little bit better about it. Who the hell knows? Who wants to start us off today? I'll start us off with one of my positives, which is I think this film had a really strong beginning. Um Bond being blown up at Vesper's grave and then retiring or semi-retiring in Jamaica. And then we get the return of Felix. Uh, so what are, what are y'all's thoughts on the opening? The, pre, the pre-credits the pre is great. Mm. I was so on board yeah. with how this movie opened. I also liked that it was a slight twist from the tradition of an open action sequence because we first opened up with Madeline Swan as a child. That was great. Yeah. Like establishing her history with Rami Malek. It's like awesome. And then we do get that sweet opening motorcycle chase with Bond. Um, I, I was so on board with the way this film opened up. I was like, we are in for a treat. It's going to be great. And then it was not. Yeah, I actually, and this is definitely probably, man, in a very long time, if not the longest, but this felt like the longest um, pre-title sequence in a very long time for Bond. Not just Daniel Craig movies, but there was a lot to go through before we got to the song. And I loved it. I loved it all. I thought it was A+. plus. I was so stoked uh, getting through all that. The intro, I was talking with Keith beforehand. I was like, well, since Bond's retired, like, what's the intro going to be? Usually it's like him doing a random action set piece or thing. But if he's retired, are they going to do a play on that? And the fact that it was Madeline meeting Safin for the first time and just watching her pop up behind that bed and shooting him and watching him fall off the banister. I was like, holy shit, like, this is scary as hell. Uh, really effective opening and then just cutting to present day, seeing them actually post Spectre and seeing what that happiness could look like. And we talked a lot in Spectre that they had really good chemistry, but it was just so quick how they went from them kind of connecting initially to Madeline telling Bond that she loved him and then him kind of agreeing. It was like, that was quick. So I'm glad they didn't really try and focus on that weird stuff in the past. They were just like, these guys are in love. And once they kind of committed to that, yeah, they have great chemistry. So it was cool seeing them go around. I actually have to say, whenever they first brought Vesper up, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I love Ava Green. I love that character. But I was like, we're doing this again? But man, whenever they got to the grave and she was like, I'll spill my secrets once you forgive Vesper. Um, because then you can finally move on. I know it's still holding you back. And when he got to that grave, man, and he writes on the paper, forgive me, kind of revealing this whole time. He, he forgave Vesper forever ago, man. 
Like he, whenever in Quantum, when Mathis dies in his arms and he's like, you have to forgive Vesper. I love this. It's like he forgave Vesper 12 years ago at the end of that movie, but he just never really talked about it again. His whole thing was he couldn't forgive himself for not being able to get her out of that situation. Watching him write that down and burn that, I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. And of course, it's immediately no time to breathe, no time to like, whew, man, got to wipe the tear from my eyes because he's just blown the hell up. <laughs> and the sound design, the way he can't hear anything and just seeing that little Spectre card, I was like, oh man, are we like going back to Spectre? Interesting. And then the action sequence that followed was just out of this world. This whole intro was killer, man. I loved it. Yeah, I I did actually did not like when I saw the Spectre card. Mm. Like I knew Spectre was going to come up, but I didn't think it was going to be like the focus of the first half of the movie. Right. And so I was like, oh my god, are we doing Spectre again? Like, can we not just do a different story? But they just ha- they have to tie up all the stuff from the Spectre movie. So of course it has to come up. But for me, it, for me, it kind of hurt the film a little bit when I saw that Spectre card in the opening. Yeah, and that definitely gets to some issues I had in the post. Uh, intro song whenever they kind of fully go into that but just for a little tease I was like oh interesting that's kind of cool um, and then that of course that was planted by Blofeld to you know so distrust between him and Madeline and then that that last line where he finally gets her to safety and then she's like how will I find him and he's like you'll never see me again it's like oh, that was cold and then just the old like old school like Sean Connery Roger Moore era of like the colorful dots coming in and then it just says Daniel Craig as James Bond 007 and the intro kicks off. Yeah, that was good stuff. It was good. I love Madeline and James Bond as chemistry as well in in both Spectre and this film. I think it's so good. I actually wasn't very happy that she exits the film, though, for like the entire first act and kind of midway through the second act. I was hoping to see more of them interacting together in this film since they are like a couple to start out. Like I was hoping she was kind of going to be paired with him for the majority of the movie. I, I get I get kind of tired of Madeline. (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, I like Le- I think Leah Sadu is a good actress and I think she plays the character well. And I think the character is a cool character, but I get tired of them being together, especially after Spectre. I was kind of. Oh, scared. really? I, yeah. I really like it. She's I think she's probably my favorite Bond girl to date, I would say. I mean, yeah, she's cool. I don't know why. I just kind of got burned out on them constantly being together. It's like you just kind of want to see James doing his own thing again for a little bit. So that's kind of where I was at on it. I think if they had her doing more interesting stuff, I'd be fine with it. Because I know, Keith, you mentioned this with Spectre, that you liked the character. You just thought it was weird how she was used as so kind of flip-flopping back and forth. And then it's not until like the third act where she's finally on board with Bond. But then she's immediately kidnapped by Blofeld. It's like, oh, well, that's lame. If they, I wish they would have used her better. Maybe I'd like them more. Kind of the same thing here, like you said, Austin. It's like, yeah, she's kind of left out of the film for a surprising long amount of time, which I get why they did it. It's because they split, they split up in the beginning. So... There has to be, like, I guess, a reasonable amount of time where you don't see them. But the one thing that did give us was kind of the second part of the question you asked, Keith, was the rest of the first act, the rest of the good stuff post the intro song um, with, like, the Jamaica stuff, the five years later reveal, Felix coming back and bringing it back into the fold. I know, Austin, you kind of teased that you didn't love that the first half of the movie kind of went back to Blofeld and Spectre stuff, but... What about the rest of its surrounding, Keith? What do you think? Because you brought up the question, and it was a pretty cool sequence. I like seeing Felix back, and that was kind of the impetus for him coming back as Bond. Oh, yeah. It was badass. Um, I knew Felix was going to be returning, but I did not know they were going to introduce him in that kind of way. I, I thought it was just some, some bad guy chasing Bond again, and it was just cool how Bond just stopped and just said, Hello, Felix. Yeah, I just thought it was a cool setting. What did you guys think about the whole... Um, 
uh, five years later thing. Do you think that was like too long or too short or just right amount of time? I was not expecting a time jump. Yeah. So yeah, it surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it because it led to some really cool moments with the side characters, I felt. Like whenever that's when they reintroduce us to like M, Q, and Money Penny, and I love the line where he's like, get me 007, but he's not talking about Bond. I was like, oh, that's cool. Then that all kind of comes to a head whenever um, Nobi joins uh, the fold, like kind of after Felix and Bond meet up again. I thought all that stuff was really neat. Um, I, yeah, I definitely didn't expect the time jump either, but without it, you don't get the cool daughter stuff later. It kind of feels a bit more, I think, important whenever he reunites with Madeline in a romantic way. So I think it actually ended up being a good call. So we, of course, we talked about how much we loved Anna de Armas as Paloma, but what about the rest of the sequence? Because this is kind of a classic thing where I think there's so much cool here, but it's just every time there's a cool shot or a cool action moment or just a cool piece of dialogue, it's always offset by something weird. The fact that Felix is like, hey, you got to get this MI6 scientist. He has a lead on Project Heracles, which is the whole nanobot thing I'm sure we'll get into, Safin's big plan. Um, and <laughs> there he might be hiding out at Blofeld's birthday party. And it's like, and James is like, Blofeld, he's in prison. And it's like, well, did you think, James, that maybe he might have a friend with a bionic eye that he could sit in a prison cell and look through and it's like oh i didn't it's like yeah because to fuck make would? sure they're celebrating his birthday properly yeah and i thought that was so fucking stupid but then when it gets to the moment of the light shining in on james's face and he's kind of caught and he and blowfeld are talking again and then they kind of reverse engineer the thing so it kills all the specter members i was like okay it's getting pretty cool again um and then the action sequence that followed was really cool so it was just a weird thing in my head that was making me laugh. Like, we're actually seeing an action scene at Blofeld's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Bond as a franchise has al- has always had that goofy element to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the goofiest, I would say, of the Craig Bond movies. And I thought For they sure. balanced it pretty well, actually. Definitely the most gadgets we've seen out of the Craig era. And I was surprised how much it worked because think about Casino Royale how grounded we started and I think they kind of ramped up to it pretty believably and I actually kind of like the goofiness and the use of the gadgets here because I'd never expected we would see that from the Craig Bond. I do have an issue with that EMP watch though. Whenever he presses that button it should fry his communication to Q but it still works. That actually might solve our problems. Whenever he did the EMP it disabled all of Safin's subtitles so I kind of wish maybe he hadn't gotten the watch. (laughs) It also disabled the vocal box, apparently, in his throat because he can't hear him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jamaica and Cuba is where this mostly feels like a Bond movie for me. Like, yeah. they're in there. He's undercover. He's meeting his contacts. They're invest Like, all of that is, like, all the spy shit that you want from Bond. And that's why it's my favorite sequence of the movie is because I felt like that is the most James Bond that this movie ever got. Yeah, and it was cool to see how, you know, Daniel Craig can't do stunts like he used to. But it was really nice how they were, like utilizing him on the second floor and he's just shooting guys and it looks really cool and then he and paloma occasionally meet up to have some fun banter i love where they stop at the bar do a quick drink and kind of cheers and then just back to work and yeah it it was a great set piece really creative and without having to do some crazy over-the-top stunts they found a way to make it really thrilling so I like Paloma saying, I'm th- I got three weeks training. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just that was playing funny. it up. I did like that she was lying about that too, though. Yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. Did any part of you, despite our love for Anna to Armas, want to see some Felix action before he died? No, because I don't, I don't view Felix as 
a soldier, really. I think he's just more of an information guy. Could have used a little bit. Not much. He didn't have to do some like total like James Bond like flip over a bridge action, but <laughs> he's an acrobat. <laughs> yeah, maybe just some uh, maybe just some pistol shooting yeah. would have been cool. Would have uh, helped him against yeah. uh, Billy Magnuson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that point, though, I actually I didn't enjoy Jeffrey Wright in this movie as much as you guys did. I actually felt like he was really hammy in his performance, and I felt like he was more grounded in Casino. Like he was still the chill guy, but he was way too way too like laid back for me in this one. It felt like Jeffrey Wright was trying to play himself in Casino again to me, if that makes any sense. I'll go with the cop-out answer, which is I I do think, even just based on the outfit they put him in, it just seems like he's mellowed out over the years. And it has been over a decade since we saw him. So it worked well enough for me. I do agree it was hammier. Um, But yeah, the death scene, I actually was surprised. I was sad at first because Jeffrey Wright, like as a character was dying, I was like, oh, I wanted more of him. But then as it went on, I thought it was really cool. I mean, thinking about Casino Royale and Quantum, Bond didn't care about anybody. And then that slowly started to become more and more of a thing. And then to see him, like, try and save his friend and cradle him. And, like, they're, like, they're far underwater. And he's, like, still just trying to pull this guy that's obviously going to die along with him because he's his buddy. Um, And then I really like their final back and forth. Like, this is great life and then the best. And then he just, you know, kind of fades away. I was like... Good scene. Would have liked more Felix, but I thought it was effective. Craig's Bond has had a fantastic arc throughout these five movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Casino, he literally takes his partner and leaves his body in a dumpster. Yeah, like literally does that. Yeah. So let's kind of move on from the intro and talk about the full scope of the film now. And let's get into the action. Any any standout set pieces for you guys in this film? I thought the action was fantastic in our fifth outing. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier the whole bridge scene with the car and the motorcycle coming at him at the same time and him flipping off of the rope that was that was really cool that motorcycle jump i know you see it in the trailers but that jump up the steep rampway was so cool to see the long shot in the movie yeah i'll shout out one that at first i was like oh man this sucks i think i may even turn to keith like is this really like this is a bond action scene and it was when um it's literally just bond with uh madeline and his daughter matilda in the car and they're just driving, and then all of a sudden, more cars come after them. And it's literally just like maybe a minute and a half of two minutes of just Bond like driving, and then he'll occasionally just like turn really hard, and then like the car next to him will just like do like a front flip. And I was like, "What? Like, what is even happening?" Oh, I actually really enjoyed that because it kept cutting to him glancing back at the daughter. Yeah. And so I felt like he wasn't shooting there because he didn't want bullets to start flying with the kid in the back. So I felt like he was trying to be more cautious. So it worked for me. I agree. Yeah. Because at first I was like, I don't like this. This is a weird scene. But then as it went on, I was like, okay, you know, it is cool. We're getting like the whole family element. But then I got to say, the sequence culminated in pretty top tier Daniel Craig Bond action scene for me. And it was just watching Bond in this really cool looking foggy forest. And he's just trying to like, he's had to leave his family behind to try and keep them safe, giving them a gun to protect themselves. And then he's going to try and get them all away. So he's like running through. He's like shooting to try and draw attention. He's able to see one guy. He like yells and calls him out, sets up a, a fucking like clothesline cable and like probably almost decapitated that guy. I love the one where the car flips and you see him shoot the drivers. That was my fa- as they that's that's my him. favorite shot. I think of the movie It's the way they did that where it flips over and without hesitating, he just starts shooting the driver. <laughs> and then just just for funsies, just literally pushing a car down to crush <laughs> Logan Ash was pretty funny. I also love the one-take stairwell 
fight sequence up to the launch controls. Yep. That was sweet. Oh, and man. I love that it was one take. And I love that it was a stairwell. I don't know how many action scenes in any movie could top the Casino Royale stairway fight for me. One of the most mm-hmm. brutal things I've ever seen. And it's a PG-13 movie, by the way. And that scene is horrifying. Even though it's not as brutal, just getting a really cool like one-shot action scene on the staircase was... You gotta do that for Daniel Craig's last outing. It was right. awesome. I love the grenade, too. He throws it back up, and then four more come down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was awesome. That was so cool. Um, and it was goofy, I think, like you already said, Austin, like the watch as the gadget. But, A, I mean, the whole like Bond having a watch that does something weird is just classic Bond, and the fact that Daniel Craig finally got one was cool. Um, and even though it was goofy, I-, I did think it was kind of fun <laughs> seeing like the end to the Cyclops character and then just... And blew his mind. <laughs> I was like, let's go. Let's go, baby. That was fun. What y'all think of him and Nomi flying out in that plane? That was kind of like Ooh. a callback to other Bond films that had, that had planes, some weird planes kind of like that. I like that a lot. At first I thought, like, it's just a plane that falls really fast. This is kind of lame. But then it went into the ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I want to go back to Madeline really quick, just because they kept teasing her big secret. Like he's, she's got a secret that's going to kill you, and I, I genuinely don't know what it what it is. <laughs> what I, is Madeline's secret? I have no idea. I don't know. Is it just that she knows Remy Malik? I don't know. You're not being hyperbolic there, Austin. I mean, Blofeld literally tells James like, "And when her secret comes out, it'll be the death of you." And I was like, "Oh shit, that's that's interesting." And I guess her only secret. Is that she has a daughter? Oh, is that it? Yeah, but it didn't. But how would kill he know him. that? I don't know. Maybe he didn't. If if that's off a secret, then I don't know if there is one. <laughs> he knows everything. He's Blofeld, <laughs> and it's his birthday. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything. It's my birthday, James. <laughs> how have we had two fantastic actors in back-to-back movies as our villains, and they're terrible in both films? <laughs> Christoph Waltz is a great actor. He's won two Oscars. Remy has one. And they've both They're given both terrible. Ca- they've both given career low performances in Bond films. <laughs> uh, since since we're here and, and Daniel Craig is concluded as Bond, what's who's your favorite villain of the franchise now? Of of the five films? It's Silva for me. Javier Bardem. Yeah, Silva for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think it's Silva, and then a close second would be Lachey. And what do you think is the difference? Because when we did those episodes, we talked about the, how the motivations for both those characters was not necessarily weak, but just incredibly simple. Lachey is just basically, he owes people money, so he's going to have this crazy poker tournament, this high stakes thing. And Bardem just wants to kill M because he believes that you know she wronged him in the past. That's that's all, that's the extent of their motivations. And you got some great actors in there to give some great performances and very memorable villains. Do you think any of it has to do with the fact that they're just on screen more? So they could kind of I think develop that's part it? of it. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think Lachey also interacts with Daniel Craig so much more yep. than any of the other villains do. And, but Silva, I think also a lot makes it Bond personal. Too. Yeah. It has a lot, has a lot of scenes, but there's so, it's so much better because that's actually personal for Bond because he's going to his home and he's going after M, which is like a surrogate mother almost. So like, I think that's why those two villains work better. Or even, and I know I was kind of in the minority here, but you have somebody like Dominic Green played by Matthew Almerick in Quantum, not a very memorable villain, 
but one with probably the best plan out of any of the villains in the Craig era. He doesn't interact with Bond that much, but they at least gave him this really cool plan. We were able to track from beginning to end how he accomplished it. And then, I don't know, just in the last two movies, it's like they did everything that we, the three of us just said, but they did the opposite. It's like, we're not going to give these characters much screen time with Bond. Safin has two scenes with him, maybe. One being where he tries to kill him. The other where he just sits with his daughter in his lap. I think that's their only scenes together. Uh, Blofeld barely has any. It just kind of feels like with both these villains, they're trying to tell us how scary they are. But we don't really see many instances of that. And they're just not on screen very often to actually develop the characters. And I don't know what changed after Silva. Safin's almost more Madeline's villain than James's villain. For sure, yeah. Let's talk about it now. Let's kind of fold in the Madeline and Safin conversation because Keith and I were talking about that too. It's like, and I like that. It's like Safin is Madeline's villain and that's pretty cool. And it's just Bond gets roped into that because he loves her. Cool premise, cool concept. But then by the end, they have this whole eerily similar line. It's like the jokes we make about Blofeld, which is just him. Remember Silva? Remember Lashif? It was all me, James. I was behind it all. I was behind Vesper. It's like, I was behind M. And it's like, we watched the movies and I know you weren't, you dang liar. <laughs> but then we get here and he's only, he saved Madeline's life for some reason as a kid. And then 30 years later, he just comes back to kill her, I guess. I'm very unclear. And then he sits down with James briefly and he's just like, you know, James, license to kill, in love with Madeline Swan. You and I, we're the same person. I was like, so he loves Madeline. Didn't see that coming. That wasn't set up. License to kill. Not sure. He has a bunch of nanobots and he's just going to do kill millions and do world domination. Not sure how that's similar. I don't know what's happening here. It's like, it, it's Madeline's villain. And then at the end, I guess he wants to kill James. Maybe not. I, I just don't know. Like, What was your read on any of this? I just didn't understand. Like, I understand the plan is I have the Heracles thing. I'm going to sell it to the highest bidder, release it on the world. We're going to target whatever group we want. Great. It's a powerful weapon. I get it. Why are we doing any of this? I do not understand what his motivation yeah. is for any of the actions he's taking, especially after he's already killed Spectre and finished off the people that hurt his family. So now what? Why, why are we still doing this? Because he's passionate, Austin. He's I'm passionate. passionate. That's what he said. He's like, not James angry. is like, you're just a little, you're just a madman. Passionate. I'm not mad, James. I'm passionate. It's like, oh, wow. Keith and I were joking in the car at home. That's what you have a villain say, like, no joke, when you just can't think of a reason for their actions. Like, I'm passionate. Okay. Um, that is a great point, Austin. I'm glad you brought that up. Safin's going after Spectre, I actually thought was pretty cool. I thought that was interesting. And I like that he accomplished his plan too. Yeah, Because Blofeld cool. ends up dead as well. Yeah. So that was all very cool to me. Got all he wanted. And it was also kind of a cool buildup, kind of like with Silva and Skyfall. We're like, we keep kind of hearing rumblings about this guy. And it's like, holy shit, he sounds really scary. But we don't actually ever meet him until way later in the movies. Like, oh, it's like, it's a good buildup. Safin, they kind of did that too. It's like, holy shit, this guy is going after Blofeld and Spectre. Like, I mean, James could barely beat them in the last movie. And Safin does it really easily. But then after that, like you said, I don't understand why he's continuing this weird mission, why he's co-opted Spectre's goal or whatever like to become the new head of that and then kill millions of people. And Austin, you said something there. I'm not even sure if you caught yourself saying it. Why 
is Safin not doing this? Why is he trying to sell this to the highest bidder? Why is he trying to sell this? Isn't he the one that wants to use it? And he's on an island with missile silos. Yeah. And at one so he point, can launch it if he wants. And at one point, he leaves, right? He and his like soldiers just start walking out. It's like, the bidders are here. We have to go sell it. And it's like, oh, I guess they're going to go sell it. But then, like, five minutes later, he just it looked like he was about to leave the island, but he just walks back into the garden and shoots Bond. And it's like, so is he trying to sell this? Is he trying to use it on his own? Or is he trying to kill James? Because it's like they wanted him to do all three. I don't know what the original goal was. Like, it was so weird. It looked like he was like trying to escape the blast, but then he comes back just to shoot James a few times. Yeah, my, wi- my wife actually posed an interesting question after we left the theater. And, and she asked me if I thought that they cut down a lot of Safin's scenes because it's a, a biological weapon, basically a virus, after COVID happened. She was wondering if maybe a lot of that got cut out of the movie because it would be like kind of too close to home after what everybody just went through. And my answer at the, my answer at the time was, I don't think so, because it was already scheduled to come out prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. But maybe they went back and did made some changes. I, I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. Sure. I mean, it's possible. We saw with Falcon and Winter Soldier, they had a plot that involved vaccines that was a very apparently integral to the villain's motivation that they cut out completely because they felt it was too close to home. Um, so, yeah. Definitely possible. Maybe they cut out some scenes. Um, so it's hard, It's kind of hard to say. We can really only judge based off what they put in there. And what in what's in there is kind of confusing. Even just the whole machinations and how the thing works. At the beginning, I was kind of on board. It was like M tried to create this thing that potentially would have put double O's into a position where they weren't as necessary. He wanted to create the ultimate killing machine to get rid of your enemies basically like it targets dna it's totally harmless to the people it touches but then they can kind of track like family members touching people and so on and so on until you get to your actual target and then you just kill them very clean very easy very efficient um i was like okay that's kind of cool and then it just got co-opted by Safim. but now he's just going to kill millions and millions i guess so he can rule the world maybe i'm not sure um, I know at one point he has a line where he's like, we're going to push humanity into the next stage. Yeah. Which makes zero sense. <laughs> we're killing half the population or whatever. Yeah. And it also just got murky. You know, like we said at the beginning, he saves Madeline's life and then comes back to, you owe me. So he comes back. Um, but then he kidnaps her and her daughter. And then he's going to keep her there. Because like he said, I guess he loves her, apparently. And we also have to mention that he never aged either. He looked exactly the looked same. The exact same. That was so confusing <laughs> to me. Yeah. That was a bad choice, I thought. <laughs> like, he's supposed to be 30 years older. <laughs> they didn't even change his hair or anything. So should we kind of transition now into the, the wrap-up of our movie with the death of 007? Daniel Craig, James Bond. Yeah. I mean, this is... A huge thing doesn't really happen too often with the whole official death of Bond this time. Did it work for you guys? Do you, do you think it was earned? Maybe that's a good place to start. Did they earn this moment? I actually really liked this moment in the film, especially because we did get two films building up his relationship with Madeline, and he has grown so much since Casino that like this is probably the one thing that would keep him, after having kind of come back into Madeline's life, Like this is the one thing that would probably keep him from Madeline and his daughter. And I did like the fact that he chooses to sacrifice himself so that way he won't put them in harm's way and he'll kind of die with the rest of the Heracles virus. So it won't ever get out because if, if it was on him, it could still get out. But if he stays on this island, it kind of all gets destroyed right there. Yeah. Uh, 
man. It was, it was it was kind of tough for me to call. I think it was good. I think they 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 wrote it right and it, it looked good. And Daniel Craig acted in such a way where it's really believable that he's going to sacrifice himself, going all out for his family and everything like that. But I was really hoping, you know, instead of them showing like the missiles actually hitting and it shows him pretty much blow up, that it just yeah. showed the island blow up from a distance and then. We get a couple credits, but then it cuts, and it's just James on a beach sipping some some vodka martinis, and he actually survived the blast. And then maybe somehow they cut back to M and Monty Penny and all them. They're like, "Oh, we actually did figure out a way to to cure the." Uh, <laughs> and this is a reach I'm going for, I know, but <laughs> this is just for like just a satisfying ending for me. I was hoping for a classic Bond, just relaxing on the beach, retired again, and then. He gets like his happy ending with his family and all that. That's kind of what I was hoping for. I think Daniel Craig has worked so hard to kind of break away from the classic Bond, though, that I don't think he would have done that for his final film. I think he would have wanted it to be like his own thing. I think they did it right, though. I think for what we did get, I think they did it right. So I think I agree with that. I think they did it right based on what the story set up. And it was really dark and fucked up ending where it's like you can't ever touch your daughter. I was like, oh, geez, that, that's crazy. Um, so I thought that was like one of the actual effective moments of the whole nanobot like villain plot. That was an interesting end. And yeah, I thought it was emotional. I liked the final conversation with Madeline. I liked that they, you know, so they, their I love yous and they acknowledge it was his daughter. And he, of course, was like, I, I knew the whole time. Yeah, definitely. Also, like Keith said, I, I expected a wide shot of the missiles hitting. I did not expect to get that much proof that Bond was dead. We literally watch his body basically go up in flames. He gets hit by a missile. You see James Bond explode. <laughs> um, that was crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. I I don't think it was completely earned over the five movies, but I think for the most part it got there. And I did like actually the last shot of... Because they, they, they did jokes in the movies of like, Bond, James Bond. I thought it was kind of a cute ending to be like, I'm going to tell you a story of your father. His name was Bond, James Bond. And then... They go into a tunnel in their car and it kind of pulls back. So it looks like the gun barrel again, the classic gun barrel. So I was like, okay, you got me. I like that. This uh, this reminds me of something, though. Uh, another one of the last shots we get is the Bond team, if you want to call it that, uh, doing a final cheers to Bond. And uh, thinking about that made me realize we didn't really talk about the Bond team in this conversation, probably because they weren't really in it i mean did you guys have any standout thoughts about like m money penny q any of our classic characters that didn't really get too much a uh, screen time this time around i actually thought m and q were in it the right amount they have totally wasted the naomi harris character though yeah yep yeah they had her at a desk the entire time nothing to do it's even it's even weirder when when nomi who as a double o agent is working in the field and just walks past Naomi Harris sitting at her desk. Like, Naomi Harris could also be in this role as an agent, but they sidelined her to just make her be Monty Penny. Yeah, because it's like Monty Penny is, is just a secretary in, like, the lore. So That's it's like such she an outdated part. Now. Yeah, it's a weird role. Uh, they clearly didn't have much for her to do. Um, I did with the whole ending as well, something that kind of jumped to mind, and we've talked a lot about over our reviews of this series the continuity is something we don't usually get with the bond movies and it's really cool to see that here it feels like this really neat five movie arc like we've said um and even with like the stuff like the specter inclusions while it's not super well handled it is cool to see it carry over from the last movie in ways we didn't expect 
Um, and the death of Blofeld was also crazy, just seeing him slump over like a weird, a weird looking guy <laughs> slumped over as he dies. <laughs> was like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. Kind of goofy looking too. Um, but I did like kind of the mention of Vesper at the beginning. And then at the end, watching Bond die for those reasons, it was kind of a cool thinking back moment to Casino Royale where Bond tried to save Vesper, but she kind of sacrifices herself for him. Obviously, they're not family, but they love each other. It was cool to see, like, four movies later, you know, Bond sacrificing himself in, like, an unwinnable situation for his family and loved ones, you know. Never expected to see Daniel Craig's version of Bond do that, but I liked how it made me think back to that sacrifice at the end of the first movie. Maybe when they rebuild Vesper's grave, they'll just throw James in there, too. (laughs) Throw him in. (laughs) They just, like, shove him in. Well, it would it would just be a pile of ashes. That's they just true. dump it in yeah. there, oh, and it's yeah. it's just some dirt that they found that they couldn't even find his ashes. <laughs> <laughs> they just like pick up some dirt. Uh, Money Penny tries to shave it. <laughs> that is the only interesting thing they had Money Penny do in this entire arc was shave James Bond. That was a pretty good scene. <laughs> she shot him. She did shoot. She shot him and then shaved him. All right, guys. Before we close out. Any final thoughts on No Time to Die, whether it's spoiler-related or just a general thought, anything that has come to mind after this discussion? I think, yeah, I think all my thoughts stand. Yeah, Remy Malik was just not good. The villains were awful in this movie, Blofeld included, of course. Happy birthday, though. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the ending, I think, was good, but I do wish we could have had an alive Bond at the end. Overall, such a good franchise, though. I enjoyed it. I am going to miss Daniel Craig. I'm really worried they try to go back to like the cheesiness of the 90s with the next Bond, and I will not enjoy that. They might just do something different, but yeah, I have no idea what to expect. Um, yeah, I think, you know what, after this conversation, I think I might even be more solidified where I was at the beginning. I just feel like the first act is so awesome, and then I really like the ending, and then most of the third act, besides the villain stuff, I thought was really cool. Second act was long as hell, but lots of cool action in there. Some great emotional moments with Madeline and Bond in particular. So I think, honestly, what it comes down to is I really, really like this movie. I just think any time they put in a villain, whether it be Blofeld or Safin, and then kind of try to develop their motivation, I think it was terrible. And then the whole nanobot MacGuffin and just the way that worked left me a little bit confused at times. So really like the movie, but the villain stuff... Just to simplify it, I think is pretty bad. And it does, unfortunately, like Austin said, it kind of Bond and the villain are so intrinsically tied. If you have a really bad villain, it does bring down the enjoyment of the movie quite a bit. Do you have an actor in mind for our next James Bond? Mine is somebody who can never be cast because he's not British. But I think Joel Kinnaman would be a fantastic Bond. Ooh. As we he know, does look I like, like a Bond I like for Joel sure. Kinnaman. It's a tough one, man. I mean, people have been saying for years, Idris Elba, I would have loved that. But now, I mean, even he is probably as old as Daniel Craig. I don't know if he would want to start a franchise now. Still would be cool. Henry Cavill, as we said, was almost cast as Bond when Daniel Craig was. He came out recently and said he wants to be a villain, too. I think I'd rather see that. I feel like that would be more interesting. I'm going to throw someone out there that I feel like I've liked him in everything I've seen him in. Uh, really solid actor, very charismatic, and I think they could use him to kind of not go full 90s cheese, like Austin said. You could have some really cool action with him, you could do the dramatic moments, but you could have a bit more of that goofiness without going over the top. Daniel Radcliffe? No. 
I can't see that. I would go my guy. Ron? No. <laughs> Rupert Grint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go John Boyega. Ooh, I like that. That would be good, I think. Keith doesn't like John Boyega, though. You don't? I don't like Finn. I don't uh, know. I never. Yeah. I haven't seen John Boyega anything else, so I can't really say whether I like him or not. But I don't like him as Finn in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> what about Rami Malek? No, Do you want him stop. back as James Bond? <laughs> no, I can't think of any young actors that would be good. Say for someone the role, old. Say an oldie. I mean, Christian Bale. Ooh, I never even thought about something like that, Keith. That'd be you different. and McGregor would be kind of cool. <gasps> Ooh, kind of like both those picks. If he's done filming Boyhood. <laughs> if he's done filming. <laughs> The 20th year for Boyhood. <laughs> yeah, they're still doing Richard it. Linklater comes out with another 12 years from, for Boyhood. <laughs> is, there a, is there a young, up-and-coming British British boy that could be James? Not Tom Holland. I think they want to get younger. If they, oh, my God. If they cast Ooh, Tom they would, Holland, I they won't would do watch that. it. They would totally do that. I will watch it, but I won't like it. <laughs> uh, Actually, Tom Holland's a good choice, I bet. No, it's not. Oh, I you think it's, like, it's a good Holland. bet that they would do that? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. Yeah, I could see that. Would Robert Pattinson go from Batman to Bond? I don't think I want to see him as Bond. I don't want to see him as Batman, <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, guys. We are very passionate about our Bond rankings. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I know we aren't as high on this one as everybody else. Everybody's calling No Time to Die a masterpiece, apparently, which seems a bit hyperbolic in my opinion. But let's refer back to how we ranked the previous four films. So. Myself and Austin ranked them as Skyfall number one, Casino Royale's number two, Quantum of Solace as number three, and Spectre as number four. Keith was kind of similar, just had a tie in there instead. Keith had the same number two, but then he had to tie Quantum and Spectre for last because you felt too similarly to them at the time. So guys, with that in mind, where does No Time to Die rank in here? I think I'll go Skyfall, of course, at number one, then Casino. No Time to Die, Quantum of Solace, and Spectre. Skyfall number one, of course. Um, number two, Casino. I think I'll put number three, Quantum of Solace. As far as last, it's kind of hard to pick between No Time to Die and Spectre, but I think I'll put. I think I'll go No Time to Die and then Spectre last. I think I'm gonna go with Austin as well. We had our same uh, rankings up until this movie. It looks like we are in the same. No Time to Die is number three. It's behind Skyfall and Casino for me. I want to put Quantum higher. I think it's a really fun movie. I think No Time to Die has some pretty high highs, though, so I'll stick with that. All right. Now it's time to give out some awards. Austin and Keith, our awards ceremony has officially started. What are you feeling passionate about? Does anybody deserve some praise, or are you going to give an award in the Razzie sense? <laughs> in fact, it's for a bad thing. What are you feeling? I have to apologize because I did not come prepared. This is my fault. I was not prepared. I did not think of an award for this movie while I was in the theaters. So I'm just simply going to give the best birthday boy to Blofeld. I actually was thinking about it one earlier. So Blofeld gets the best birthday boy. Very fair. He wasn't, he was enjoying his party alone, just sitting in a cell, but luckily his friend had a bionic eye that he could see through. So that was super helpful. Best birthday boy indeed. Keith, what are you thinking? I'm going to give the continued alcoholism award to, to James Bond or Daniel Craig's James Bond. This guy drinks a lot. I thought he was going to slow down in this one. He didn't. He was taking shots while he was fighting. Mm -hmm. he's, he's the drunkest Bond for sure, right? 
He even said, he even like said in the in this movie, he's like, oh, I haven't had a drink in three or four hours. I'm not feeling too well. <laughs> I'm feeling too well. <laughs> he says something like that. He's like, I haven't had a drink in three or four hours. You know what? I'm just going to double down. I was trying to be positive earlier, but I can't. I'm going to give the most deserved of hate award to Rami Malek. <laughs> uh, as that reviewer pointed out, he was, quote, very unfortunately bad, end quote. And I have to agree. Had no idea what he was saying the whole time he needed subtitles. I can't wait for the movie to come out on Amazon so I can finally understand his motivations or at the very least what he was saying. Um, terrible makeup. It looked goofy. He never aged. He didn't age in 30 years. Thought that was weird. I had no idea what this guy was doing. It was bad. I'm sorry, Rami, but I think he might deserve the hate for this one. I wonder if he's going to pull a Jared Leto and claim that there are more Saffin scenes to make his character more fleshed out. The Saffin cut? Yeah, I could see that. Just more of him mumbling into a camera. <laughs> Passionate. Passionate. Uh, also, his name is perfect for our dumb bit where we just like say names in dumb ways. Like, I'm Lucifer Saffin. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even talk about his plans. I, that was another thing. I was like, what is this garden for? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's for our No Time to Die Part 2 review, unfortunately, my friends. Um but thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and this series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to so continue to grow the show. Please give us the reviews as well, even if you don't want to write anything. Leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just wherever you get your podcast really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. Once again, if you really liked our No Time to Die review, head on back. Earlier this year, we talked about Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace. Um, Skyfall and Spectre. So get our thoughts on those as well. We'll be back next week, though, with our thoughts on DC fandom, sophomore outing, probably going to see a new Batman trailer, Gotham Knights, Black Adam, and much more. We'll also be doing a retrospective and a review series on Halloween. That'll be cool. Mostly focusing on the original from 1978, the 2018 reboot, and Halloween Kills, since that is the new canon. Austin and Keith, looking forward to that? I am. I have always wanted to get more into the Halloween franchise. And uh, I've never put the time aside to do it, so I'm looking forward to checking these out. Yeah, I just rewatched the uh, original 1978 one, and I'm probably going to watch the uh, the 2018 reboot tomorrow. I'm excited. I haven't seen the reboot or the new one, obviously, and I've only seen Halloween, the original, once. And it was last year for the bracket, so it'll be cool to see if uh, any new thoughts going back to that. Um, Austin, any other episodes that have come out recently or just stuff in the future to keep an eye out for? Let's look at the future. So we've got, we'll be back to theaters pretty soon with Dune. Looking forward to that, of course. That's coming out in a few weeks. And then at the end of the month, we're doing our Halloween bracket round two. We narrowed it down this time. We're picking one movie from each category. So we're going to have a comedy movie on there. We're going to have a scary movie on there. We're going to have a classic movie on there. And we're going to have a kids movie on there as well. Mm. So we're going to run through those four wings of the bracket and pick definitively the best Halloween movie for 2021. Yeah, I've already started preparing. I just watched uh, Cabin in the Woods and just watched Halloween Town. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I've watched Halloween Town and Jeepers Creepers. Nice. Lastly, we want to hear from you. Please message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Send us your favorite movie of 2021. Let us know your thoughts on No Time to Die, the Daniel Craig James Bond era. 
and the Halloween series. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. Yeah, that's right. So much good content coming. So enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. And never forget, it was me, James. I was the author of your pain. I'm passionate. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>